welcome to the Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast that brings together some of the world's most innovative thinkers to weigh in on matters concerning the future of ourselves and our planet. And to discuss the future, not as something to be predicted, but to be created. In each episode, your hosts, Erwin Laszlo and Frederick Tsao, with me, Nora Chisar, as the moderator, will converse with guests from numerous disciplines to help us navigate a new worldview which derives its wisdom from a synthesis of ancient and modern, East and West, science and spirituality. From these seemingly divergent perspectives, we will demonstrate how we can create a new narrative and usher in the dawn of a better era. So, welcome everyone. Today's episode will be focusing on Buddhism. Our guest is Zoltan Cher. Allow me to introduce him. Zoltan was born in Budapest, Hungary. He started to practice in the Buddhist Chan community at the age of 16 and become a monk in 1992. Later on, he enrolled at the University of Economics, but after two years, he decided to continue his studies at the newly founded Dharma Gate Buddhist College. In 2004, he returned to the Dharma Gate Buddhist College as a lecturer, teaching Buddhist ethics meditation techniques, Buddhist liturgy, and breathing methods, as well as to organize and lead Buddhist ceremonies. In 2003, Zoltan began to practice in the international Zhongchang community under the guidance of Chorjal Namkai Norbu Riponche. In 2010, he became a Vairada and Yantra Yoga instructor in the international Zhongshan community. Zoltan was accepted as a doctoral student at the Elta University Budapest in partnership with the International Buddhist Studies College in Thailand. His main focus of research is in the various meditation techniques of Buddhism, while he enjoys leading regularly Buddhist retreats, teaching online, and in person. Welcome, Zoltan. And now, please allow me to introduce our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Sao. Let me welcome back our esteemed Irvin Laszlo, two-time <laughs> Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and a recipient of multiple honors and awards, like the Goy Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Frederick Tsao, business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author, chairman of the Family Business Network Council of Wisdom, and founder of the Octave Institute, which is fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Welcome everyone. So to manage the session today, 
I would like to invite everyone to spend about maybe 10 minutes each to share your individual perspectives on today's topic, Buddhism, and then we can spend the rest of the time on a more interactive basis so you can respond to each other's perspectives. So I suggest we begin with Fred for an overview. So Fred, you have researched deeply into the Tao, Confucius, and Buddhist teachings and practices. I would like to open this conversation with you. Can you share what you see to be the differences and similarities between Buddhism and Taoism and how these can be integrated in the new era for humanity? Fred? Well, you know, in fact, uh, the Chinese uh, has completed its integration of Confucianism, Buddhism, and Taoism um, and formulated its integrated worldview since the Song Dynasty. Of course, you know, Buddhism came from India and has been integrating uh, for over a long time in China. The number of integration in Han Dynasty and, and Tang Dynasty and Song Dynasty. Actually, before the Buddhism came in, <clears throat> uh, Chinese uh, does not have a complete worldview as it has today. Uh, Buddhism uh, bring in a complete worldview. And what I see as um, the uh, confusion is a, a practice of life that based on materialism are uh, more like ethics uh, and human relationship and a morality um, that is uh, based on a concept of heaven, earth, and men. Um, and this has been, of course, founded on the uh, the Taoist tradition of the Tao, the the, the Wuji and the um, Taiji, which is uh, what the Buddhists called the emptiness and uh, the form. And uh, so, when Buddhism came in, uh, the Tao, um, which uh, the Buddhism, uh, uh, you know, and the Wuji and all that, has a as a different system, but Buddhism and in deep psychology uh, uh, and and therefore uh, it has uh, completed that worldview uh, uh, from the uh, called the um, the method of the mind uh, the, the the reality of the mind and of course there is no reality outside the mind and so therefore the Buddhism really add on to the whole picture um, ethics, and the Taoist is uh, really uh, a working of energy, uh, fundamentally, and working from the energetic perspective. Uh, the uh, the Confucius works from the material reality uh, aspects, and Buddhism is uh, working from the mind. And this mind-body-spirit uh, type uh, integration uh, has completed the formation of the worldview of China. Uh, of course, and now China is going to uh, revival, and like every uh, dynasty and emperor, uh, the uh, the um, foundation is always Confucianism, uh, the ethical material world, and the morality uh, of um, of managing. Uh, and uh, different dynasty use uh, Buddhism or Taoism uh, as its core spirituality, 
and so we shall see how the revival of the Chinese culture in this uh, in this uh, particular era uh, will unfold itself. But I would suspect, looking at the uh, uh, the traditional backdrop of our leader Xi, uh, Buddhism will play a very important part uh, because parents are deep uh, practitioner and believer of Buddhism. Uh, and so uh, in this year, it's very interesting to see how Chinese culture or Buddhism express itself uh, uh, in China, and, uh, which will soon become the biggest economy. Uh, certainly the biggest population uh, will express itself in modern times in the global setting. But in Buddhism, it predicted in 2,500 years uh, later, uh, there will be an era and that era is the uh, uh, demise of Dharma. But actually, this doesn't mean Dharma per se, because Dharma is really a, a, a word for everything goes, you know, uh, whatever works. And we orientate ourselves in the right direction. Uh, it's just a form. Uh, and, uh, and I think this era is the era uh, where uh, as it predicted, for good people, uh, as it described the practice of the Diamond Sutra. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. So now, Sultan from Budapest practicing Buddhism. I think that sounds good. So <laughs> please tell us. So first of all, uh, it's interesting to see that in Buddhism, Buddhism is actually the science of mind. So what is very uh, like challenging that uh, it's not a, a kind of research which we do by different tools, but it's a subjective research. So uh, what is what is very very like like uh, groundbreaking in Buddhism that the Buddha was always encouraging everybody to research to investigate, always investigate. So as it was said, Dharma, Dharma can mean also uh, phenomena. So all phenomena can, can have a meaning of Dharma, but then Dharma also is a, a special method, a special knowledge to, to lead us to freedom, freedom for all the bondage of uh, the different Dharma. So that is why we use the two, two levels of Dharma. One is connected mostly to karma, and the one is mostly connected to the path. So actually the path is, uh, is uh, researching or investigating our whole being and mostly mind. And there are two ways. The one way is a direct perce perception. Direct perception means that uh, we are using mind to investigate mind. So directly seeing what is different uh, qualities of mind, what are different workings of mind. And this is called meditation. So when we do meditation in movement or meditation is like stable meditation, like we are, we are just concentration. So one point we are, we are uh, focusing the mind. Actually, we try to directly see the nature of mind and also the nature of phenomena. So this, this is a very interesting approach because it's very similar to the modern sciences because the modern sciences also the aim is to research reality. Research reality on the level of the world, and also research research reality on the level of the human beings. So, 
And this is the same approach in Buddhism, but uh, with uh, subjective uh, tools. So we use the mind to research the mind. So this is one way is uh, meditation and the other way is logic. So in Buddhism, it's very important to use our logic. That is why when we see a Buddha statue, we see is a one hand gesture. Usually it's called um, the Vitarka Mudra. Vitarka Mudra means that we are thinking. So this is a thinking logic and investigating phenomena by way of thinking. And the other one is when we are doing the meditation, the meditation, the hands, the hand is looking up. And we are, we are yeah, like that, we are in the lap, the hands. And this is, this is the hand gesture of meditation when we directly see reality. And this is uh, connected to feeling. So what we can use to investigate reality is feeling what is reality and thinking <laughs> what is reality. And at one point, these two techniques, these two things should unite, be united. And this is a, it's a, it's a new, uh, absolutely new territory of our mind. And this is called um, Vipassana or Vipassana, or in Tibetan, for example, we call it Latong. It's called the wide or wide seeing. When, when the heart starting to see the reality. So when we do either meditation, when we do either investigation and uh, thinking by using the way of logic, the aim is to go from the head to the heart. And then it is said that to open the mind, open the eye of the heart. And when the eye of the heart is opening, there are three levels. One is directly seeing reality. It's called the emptiness seeing eye. It's called also the prajna, so prajna chakku. So it means the wisdom eye. And then also the uh, deeper level of eye is seeing also the path. All the beings has path, and then it's we clearly and directly see. And on this level, feeling and thinking are not separate. That's that's what is interesting, and that's why we, it's very very difficult to imagine how we see from the heart. Because here there is not any antagonism, not any like um, like subject object duality, but this is beyond duality. And then the fifth eye is called or the third eye in the heart because we have also a flesh eye. We can see what is um, the objective reality. There is also one eye is called the deva chakku. So the the so the uh, deva means the the like godly godly eye. This is seeing karma, and then the the third one, the fourth and the fifth one is uh, levels of seeing. And the fifth one is called the Buddha eye. The Buddha eye means that we are seeing reality as it is, without any obscuration, without anything. And what we see here is that uh, we create reality. So the mind is uh, dreaming. So that is why in Buddhism, it's very, very important that uh, we use a simile of uh, dream, because either we can dream in a physical reality, either we can dream also in the energies, it's usual dreams, and also we can dream also in meditation. And that's when we try to, when we start to see reality, we more and more we see what are the like. For example, when we see when we just see Taoism. Uh, in Taoism, there is the heaven, the human, and the earth. In Buddhism, it's an inner three. It's called the body, speech, and mind. So we start to be together, body, speech, and mind, and this is the key for opening the the eye of the heart. And then we start to see reality. So from this viewpoint, uh, Buddhism is really very important in the 
in this new area because now we are really want to know that what is reality how the human mind is working how the world is working are we interconnected so how the mind is interconnected to the so the subject and object what is the what is in between in buddhism the other uh, thing which is very important that is going beyond the duality so it's going beyond the subject object reality it means that uh, we are trying to see or uh, experience what is between subject and object and then what is between are uh, interrelations. So it's, a, it's again in Buddhism a very interesting idea that we actually first we start to uh, think about and, and investigate and, and uh, by the way of logic, what is object, what is subject. But then we try to go in, into, in between. What is in between is that is called the middle path. So just the last... Uh, uh, Think about uh, what is enlightenment according to Buddhism. Enlightenment in when in the mind, emptiness and thought, and what is in between. So there is the emptiness when we have no thought that we develop with the meditation, and there is the thoughts and what is in between emptiness and thought. And this this is called enlightened state. Thank you very much. Thank you, Zoltan. So you're talking about reality, and actually, Irwin has a best-selling book titled "What Is Reality." So, Irwin, your work is mostly about getting these very complex scientific terms into such way that everyone would understand. I mean, that's your breakthrough work that brought a totally new era to both science and spirituality. So how would you use this scientific language to thread the Buddhist practices in both the East and the West? What do you think? Well, the frank answer is I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we are talking about a very important undertaking here. We are launched on an important undertaking, and that is to look at religions, different religions, as elements of an upshift to a new era. Buddhism is a main element in this. When we talk about Buddhism, I can't talk as a philosopher. I'm not a theoretician of Buddhism. Uh, it's wonderful like Zoltan can co combine his theoretic understandings with the practice. Curiously enough, I don't have a theoretic basis for Buddhism. For Buddhism, I'm a practitioner. Maybe surprised to hear. I suppose I'm a Buddhist. What I do is I like to enter into the state of mind, which is called meditation which is explained in so many wonderful, clear way that we just heard. For me, it's a source of inspiration. It's a source of the ideas, of the insights, whatever I possess, come to me in moments. That is not for me a formal meditation. It's, it's a period when I allow things to happen. Sometimes it happens while I'm actually speaking, while I'm actually writing. Sometimes when I'm walking, Sometimes I'm nearly asleep or just come out of sleep or just go into sleep at various times. Sometimes these insights come and if I feel that they are worth preserving for me, 
and then I try to get hold of it. I try sometimes to situate them, but it's what they mean. The, the closest understand to the understanding of this is to, that I've come is to understand that the way that you can apprehend reality is not through concepts. It's not through uh, investigations with instruments. It's through the heart, through feeling. In a little while, I will have a, a keynote talk at a, at a very major conference about the heart, the role of the heart. And I was happy to describe that, and I have just to, just to mention this, the feeling that gets us close to reality does not originate in the brain. It originates in the mind, more exactly in the heart. Information flows not from the brain to the heart, but from the heart to the brain. So we rationalize, we try to understand what we already feel. But feeling is the main instrument. And that's what we need so much more of to the, in today's world. We need to feel this world because this world is unlike the superficial perception of it. It's not a world of conflict, of war, of killing. It's a world of harmony. It's a world of interaction, collaboration. It's a world of working together. This is in nature. It is in biosphere, in the sphere of life. And we are be beginning to realize that we are part of that sphere. So that we ourselves are part of a loving interconnection among all things. The instant interconnection, which has been sometimes called through the Akashic field and the quantum field, or through a higher level of consciousness, but this interconnection exists. If you want to go to science, you have quantum science. If you want to experiment, you, you, have, you have got uh, psychology, experiential psychology. And you have religions. Now, religions are not just dogma. I don't believe that the value of religion is to give us more scientific understanding. The value of religion is to bring us closer to who we are and what the world is. Because the great religions are not human artifacts. I am convinced that the great prophets, the founders of the religions, have had divine inspirations. Inspiration. They are only rationalizing, writing it down, like Moses with the Ten Commandments, what came to him on the mountainside, what came to Buddha under the, under the tree. All of these are elements of an instinctive sensing of the oneness that we are. That feeling is one, our consciousness is one, our insight is one. And if we can accede to that beyond the surface, these, unity, these unities, these separations, then we can become part of it. Buddhism shows us the way. Just to add a little bit of an autobiographical note, because as I said, I'm a practitioner. I like to retire whenever the time, the weather permits, into a little shrine that I have with a big statue, almost life, life, life statue of the Buddha. 
not because I would consider myself a Buddhist, but because I feel that's a wonderful vibe. It's a wonderful tranquility in that particular location on top of a hill with the Buddha, Buddha with his famous way of holding onto the hands that Sultan just talked about. It's sitting there with his hand and it's imperturbable. Nothing gets to him. This he is entered into the oneness. He is a representative, a pioneer of that oneness, a transmitter of this oneness to humanity. And I feel that. And I don't know it by, by means of convictions, of, of theoretical arguments. I do it because I feel it. I think that's the main approach today that we need to have. Religions have a very great role in it. And there is no simpler religion, no more direct religion to the way that we need today than Buddhism. Because it's not transcendental. It doesn't talk about a higher level of consciousness that is outside of the world, that is transcendent. It's immanent. It's in us. It's in every stone, stone in every twig of a, of, a, of a grass, of a tree, every blade of grass, and in every quantum of our, of our body. So that is a wonderful way to in, inquire and to try to approach or rapproche, as the French would say, bring together <coughs> the understanding that hand, hand is handed to us for generations, millennia, and, and that understanding that we now need, which is based on a spontaneous feeling of the world. You know, the great philosopher Alfred North Whitehead talked about prehension as based on feeling. Every actual entity in the world prehends the rest of the world because every actual entity, that means anything from a quantum system to the galaxy, is feeling the world, feeling it, okay? I think that's the key to it. And we need that as any way that we can practice it is the great way to do it. I, I envy and admire Zoltan for being able to devote his life to actually practice it consciously. I practice it unconsciously in a way because I use it as a means of feeling that the ideas that are coming to me, that are opening the door to the ideas so I don't describe it because I'm convinced that they are right. I describe it because they come to me, for better or for worse. So just this as a little introduction, because I look forward to this whole podcast series about the imprint of religions, the impact of religions in the contemporary world. We need it more than ever. We need the insight, the intuition, the inspiration of the great prophets and of all people who devote their life to sharing that insight. So again, thanks. I'm happy to be here. I congratulate Fred for initiating this series. I'm happy to be part of it. And to you, uh, Nora, for moderating it and introducing it to us and to all of our guests, the first of which is the much appreciated and deep thinking and deep feeling person, Zoltan Chair. Thank you again for being here. I'm happy to comment if I come called upon, but this is really, I'm here to listen, to learn, and to feel. That was beautiful, Erwin. Thank you so much. And this just made me think that, as you mentioned, that today Buddhism 
is spread worldwide with uh, global followership. But uh, Fred and Zoltan, I would like to know your thoughts about what are the distinctions between the ancient and the modern Buddhist practices, and how is this relevant in the new era of well-being? Um, you, which one? Who? Who do you want to respond first? <laughs> which, whichever you feel called upon, <laughs> whichever you want, whoever okay, wants. Okay, let me give her that jab. Yes, please. As I said earlier, um, Buddhism is deep psychology. Um, the mind, the science of the mind. And we all now have better technology too, like uh, better neuropsychology, uh, that we need to understand how the mind grounds itself into uh, neurology, how consciousness um, may be in the future measured, how human potential can be developed uh, with technology interventions, um, and of course, uh, psychology, neuropsychology, quantum science to logic. The logic here is not the conventional logic of the materialism, the logic of utilitarianism, the logic of human-centric uh, logic that we started in the age of enlightenment. It is a different logic. It's a different logic when you see a different world. Uh, when you have the physical eye, you have one logic. When you can see karma, the heavenly eye, you have another logic. Wisdom eye, another level of consciousness, another logic. And then you get a Buddha eye, that's a different logic, cannot even know what that logic may even seem to be. So at different level of consciousness, you use different kind of logic. But then there will be an overall logic that is flowing through uh, the understanding of the mind uh, and that people's level of consciousness and the communication between level of consciousness and the reality in each of the mind. There'll be much more study of the how the mind uh, relates with energy, how the mind related with uh, physicality, how the mind related with thoughts and emotions and how they dance together and how it integrated land and how every gate of entrance whether through physical practice or for energetic practice, might participate in the development of the mind in the level of consciousness. So in modern time, the real science of consciousness is going to move from the entirety level and the level of practice will move to another level of practice, which is much more efficient, faster uh, through the process of awakening. Thank you. Sultan? You so so in uh, there are so one thing is uh, universal that in Buddhism we are starting from the earth and we are going to heaven so this is a different approach than other religions when they are starting from the like creator and then coming down so from the one they are logically they are coming down to the many many from one to many. But in Buddhism, we are doing the opposite. So we are going from many to the one. It means that we are going to thoughts. Thoughts are many. Emotions are not so many. So we are going to thoughts, from thoughts to uh, feeling, and from feeling to oneness. So that's a, that's a very, very key of uh, Buddhist practices, also the way of philosophy, and also the way of uh, meditation. 
So this is universal. But basically, it's uh, the difference between the ancient techniques and then the the, the modern times is uh, uh, quite quite uh, we can touch it distinctly because in uh, in the ancient times it's because this was the process was vertical. So it means that the guru is uh, sitting above our head, and then uh, is is we have to like uh, like a servant. So a disciple should like serve the guru, and then the guru transmitting the knowledge. And this uh, this way of lineages were were kept quite secret. So that was the way. And then by way of uh, serving the guru and uh, doing his commands or suggestions, then the practitioner was um, developing capacities, different capacities. So in ancient time, it was very important in uh, not just in Buddhism but also in Taoism to develop capacities uh, like superhuman human capacities. It means it's not the capacity was important, but the important was that we can be free. We can be um, going beyond uh, the different uh, like um, like uh, limitations of breathing, limitation of uh, pain, limitation cold and limitation of uh, eating, limitation of uh, of sleeping and uh, developing capacities means that we were like uh, first it's called uh, called uh, provisional CD provisional capacity when we were uh, like releasing this kind of um, bondages. And when somebody was uh, experiencing that it's possible, then came the understanding that it's also possible the ultimate liberation. Ultimate liberation, liberating the mind, liberating into the enlightened state. So that was the ancient way of uh, teaching how Buddhism was working the past thousand years. And now it's totally changing this because now the globalization is bringing us the horizontal way of learning. It means that horizontal way of learning is based on uh, openness and communication. So it's less and less gurus. And then it's what is interesting that more and more female teachers are appearing in Buddhism. And because this one, the previous one was more like a male type of this uh, vertical way of transmitting the teaching and practicing, but now it's based on connections. It means that um, that you can learn from every anybody. You you have to learn how to learn also. So this means that uh, one example is uh, was uh, coming from one uh, Rinpoche, Kenshi Rinpoche, that he explained that in ancient time, when you wanted to uh, attain the state of liberation, then you were practicing very seriously and concentrating, concentrating, and at one point you realize that you have your own heat system. So you don't, you are not uh, um, facing coldness or, or heat. You are free. You, you are released from this uh, limitation. And, uh, and then you, you believe that, okay, it's, it's possible that um, we, uh, we can have the ultimate liberation. But in now, we should use our uh, wisdom, we should use our intelligence. So it means that the difference between um, building up capacities and now is uh, we go to places where we know very well that we, have, we will have heating, we will have something to wear. So this is based on intelligence. So that is the, that is the difference between the ancient way of going from many to one and then the modern way of going from many to one that we use our intelligence. It means that we should be open, we should learn openly, 
and also we should learn how to learn. So um, this time is very important to know where are the sources, who is source, or what is what can be a source. Because when we just open any information like a platform, there are many, many, many informations, many, many techniques. So we should learn how to learn. This is also part of the wisdom, wisdom uh, training. So and then usually learning to learn means that uh, there are the three kinds of pots. One is the upside down pot when we are dull, and there is the pot which has a hole in it. So when comes something, feeling or, or thoughts, then it's coming in and going out. And there is the poisoned cup, and the poisoned pot when we are uh, intellectually, we are labeling all the teachings. So we should learn, first of all, how to be empty pot. It's very difficult nowadays because globalization gives immense information from every source information comes. So we should be, first of all, learning how to be open, empty, but then also we should learn that where is the source. So I, I open myself to this source because I feel that this is good for me, this is good for all. So this is basically the difference. We can say that uh, it's in Sanskrit, it's called upaya. So the upaya style means this vertical one. The teacher is above us and we are the students and this is a vertical from sky to the earth, but now we are down to earth. And this is this to realize this, that actually we are friends, we are in the same family and we can learn from each other. This is a very important aspect of the modern times of how we develop on the path of liberation. So Fred, how do you practice being an empty pot, as Zoltan mentioned? Well, the six parameters of the Bodhisattva practice are done depending on how the cosmos calls on it. There's an era to be created. And for me, um be past the practice of the uh zen stillness which is able to keep uh, a state of emptiness or not or quietness or non-reactiveness or, or clarity so that we can see the different uh form or the different expression and beyond to understand the truth of our experience and to understand our projection and hold our intention and attention into a, a bilateral relationship through the mind-body uh, thing, which is language, body, and thoughts. Um, and being a, a businessman, and more importantly, a, a, a family business who's a seek for sustainability um, uh, and uh, understand that the family business sustainability is not the family business, but how to use the family business in this era to create a karma in creating the new era. Because this era is an era of, um, of economics, of market economy, and the challenge of the era is sustainability, and because it has come into uh, ethics and, and morality issue within the market economy. And so business and particular family business who knows the entrance of uh, greed and uh, adversity and, and, and ignorance is a death sentence. And for generation after generation, you should not allow that 
and really use the business to sustain and uh, and pass on. And this generation, more than any, that we're creating a new era, uh, the uh, Chinese Buddhism, we'll call it Da Si Yin Yuan. It is the whole uh, karma of the era, and that we will find our role uh, to play that into the creation of the new era and helping evolution of humanity move to the next stage. And so on one hand, I'm playing my role. On the other hand, I'm using playing that role in the practice of seeing through the various um, uh, form that is arises into my perception uh, and uh, dealing with my response to uh, the outside stimulants and piercing through uh, what they call the Wu Yun. I don't know how to speak in English. Uh, the more uh, nas, the, uh, the, the subconscious of the operating system subconscious uh, to, uh, to hopefully uh, to evolve together as a whole humanity and beyond. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. So you mentioned that you're practicing stillness. So very similar to what Irwin described when he goes um, to see his Buddha statue. But I do believe that Irwin is also practicing daily yoga. Is that correct, Irwin? I am practicing moving my body harmoniously. If it's called yoga, it's fine. But I, I, I don't call it anything. I try to move in a way that is clear, that is harmonious with the world around me, and that moves as many of my body parts as possible so that they can all form a working whole, a working organism of this one. Just by sitting in one place, uh, even with the best intentions of writing or, or thinking that you don't carry it forward enough, I join other people, mostly young people, we, we spend some time, and in fact, we have that in two hours from now, and have another, another hour like this through the internet, where we move our body in ways that are harmonious and ways that are, we feel rejuvenate, they increase the energy flow, make the energy flow instead of being stuck someplace. So all of these things just help. They're ways of life. For to me, they are not theoretically dictated. They are outcomes of what happens to me spontaneously. I like to follow that. I've been doing well with that outcome, and I try to follow it. I have not regretted ever following my intuitions. <clears throat> so that is my, my Buddhism. I believe that there is a progression, indeed, from many toward one that's in the in the universe because the the information that is creating what we call coherent systems is becoming is universal but is now becoming more recognized so that people can actually follow it so that we can consciously evolve toward oneness that is if you like my religion that i believe that is the way forward that is liberation that is deliverance from all these hor horrible mistakes and misguided apprehensions of war and violence and selfishness and repression that we are practicing on the surface. We've got to get back beyond that on our deeper self 
where love and understanding and coherence and harmony are the supreme principles. That is something I want to practice, not because I, 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 it's dictated to me by anything, but it is confirmed to me by science, yes. I don't deny that. I like that. I, I like to explore it, even though it doesn't, it's not the reason why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I feel that it is my destiny, my calling to do it. But I like it when I find that, yes, in quantum physics, in the quantum psychology or biology, all of these things are coming forth, documented, and based on experiment, experience as well as experiment. It's a great satisfaction. It's a great source of hope to me so that we can feel each other and so the feeling you can also find the right way forward that can satisfy the intellectual hunger hunger for understanding. That is part of it. Not only spontaneous love, but understanding. It's all part of the coherence that we need to live together on this small planet. Beautifully said. Thank you, Erwin. So Zoltan, I believe that you are a Yantra yoga instructor. So yes. can you tell us a little bit about the connection between the yoga practice and Buddhism? So uh, actually now the mostly yoga practices are survived in Buddhism. So that's why we don't know about that. Because uh, in Buddhism, the yoga practices were kept very hidden, very secret. Like also in Taoism, there are many movement practices uh, which are kept very hidden and secret. If I uh, I, uh, I try to like a little bit talk about that, why why the silence, why the the quietness of mind is important? Because when different uh, states of uh, um, are disturbing our mind, we cannot see clearly. So that's why we need silence. That's why we need. Uh, uh, emptiness. That's why we need quietness, because when the mind is quiet, then manifesting the mirror-like, mirror-like way, which is opening the eye of wisdom. So it goes down, as Robin said also, to the heart when we can open the wisdom, wisdom eye. So that's why we need the different techniques to, to, to reach that level when the mind is absolutely one-pointed and absolutely clean and absolutely quiet. And there are, uh, usually two main methods. One is with movements, when we, uh, like Irving said, harmoniously move our, our body, connected with breathing and connected with mind. So many times when we do the movement practices, we are breathing or even sometimes we are sounding something, so body speech and mind is visualizing lights. For example, light is coming in, light is coming out, going out. Or the other one, is more connected to stillness. So like in Chan practices, we are trying to form the body posture of the Buddha. Why? Because mind and body is interconnected. So when we are, uh, when we are in the position, we try to keep the position of the Buddha, also our mind is starting to be in the state of the Buddha. So that's, but actually it's very difficult. <laughs> it seems very easy. But that's why they use also in the Chan communities and also the Zen communities, they usually do 10, 12 years of yoga to develop the body, to keep the body position of the Buddha. So the body position of the Buddha, Buddha have seven points and all the seven points are saying that what kind of defilements we are liberating if we keep it. 
and uh, and it takes many times many practices to develop the correct position so one is the when the body doesn't move but we are in the position of the buddha and also the breathing stops and this way also the mind starting to have this uh, mirror like uh, quality when we clearly see the the nature of mind the nature of phenomena so this is the stopping method stopping the body stopping stopping the 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 breathing and stopping the mind and the other one is moving the body moving the speech and moving the mind so for example from this viewpoint when we do some kind of uh, ritual actually we do with the hand this is called mudra and also we do also the sound like like first by offering om buddha bodhisattva argam padyam pushpe dupe aloke gande navidye shabda kuru kuru so what we are visualizing offering that we do with the hand and also that we do with the mantra this way synchronizing the three gates this is the this is the key of uh, any practice why because we should be go to that level of mirror the mirror mind when the the wisdom eye is opening and the yantra yoga is also a very powerful tool it takes uh, it consists of 108 movements usually the buddhist yogas are 21 but the more developed yogas are are containing 108 movements and by this movement we are developing this capacity that at the end we are stopping stopping the body stopping the breathing stopping the mind so that is the aim of also yantra yoga is was given just in retreats for yogis but now it's open because namkai norgunipocha decided to open it because he was afraid of that this uh, precious method will uh, will be forever lost on this planet and he was right because in tibet they don't practice it so now we are in the west we are we are dealing with it we are trying to protect it we are uh, trying to practice it and this 108 movements are uh, uh, so one thing is to develop the proper body position the proper breathing and also it was given in retreats when somebody had to solve the problems coming out in retreat in retreat what kind of problems body problem is sickness and also the prana so the energy problems and also the difficulties of mind so these methods were developed to solve the problems why we should solve because we we should be we should be responsible for our for ourselves this is one key for freedom that if i create the problems according to buddhism all the problems we create we should solve it and this way we learn how to not create again the problems so this was one and the other one is in a specialty of these yogas to develop bliss happiness because we need freedom we need also happiness and then on on above that we also develop to open the mind for knowledge and so through practicing yantra yoga or through practicing meditation then we can learn that actually our aim is freedom happiness and knowledge that's why we practice them and then we use these special methods to synchronize body breathing and mind and this gives us the possibility to attain this mirror mirror level when we can clearly see that how is how the interconnected things are how they are connected how they are working and how to go beyond and what is interesting just one story uh, this was uh, spoken by or or uh, told by Telotulku that uh, when he was um, 
like observing the people and observing himself, he discovered that if somebody dies, then many people always asking that what happened. So they are, the question is about the story, happening, thoughts. But when, whenever he heard that somebody was dying, he immediately started to pray. That is the difference between the karma, the thoughts, and feeling. So when we, we, go, we go that way, then when we practice dharma, movement or stopping, actually we're trying to get rid of the stories, the history and the stories of the mind. And we go from thoughts, the story, to the presence when we feel reality. So this, this is why we have these stopping practices and movement, movement practices like Yantra Yoga. <laughs> This is very interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Zoltan. Um, I, I'm actually would like to hear a little bit more about the different states in Buddhism. And Fred, what do you think about uh, enlightenment and reincarnation? Why are these relevant to Buddhism and are they relevant in Taoism as well? Please. I, I suppose I, I like to look at it um, in uh, that in the in the quantum science perspective it gives a little bit both are talking about uh, whether you are talking about it is um, uh, Buddhism Taoism everything's in cycles like because reality of form the uh, the perception of form uh, is created from energy interacting with consciousness it's clustering of energy together uh the chinese call it qi right? and uh, uh but this uh this cycle whether it is in the stock market in any form of change and that's why we perceive cycle when we talked about the cycle like spiraling for an evolution um the factual geometry of how creation happens so cycles so if our body is a form and the Taoists and the buddhists there same space there everything's in cycle but they use different languages different practices um and the whole yin and yang is the rotation of form which is vibration i mean urban nowhere well you know these rules of quantum sciences and so reincarnation is just recycling uh, uh, the mind or the consciousness into creating new forms and cycles. So everything goes through a cycle. And so, uh, and then it rebuilds itself into a, a new cycle. Uh, so I like to uh, kind of explain like that, what is a yin and yang or what it's called uh, um, karmic cycles or cause and effect or 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 reincarnations uh, many many words but talking about the principles of of energetic vibration of reality and reality creation and of course buddhism talk about you know how your the uh, the perception of the form by your centuries uh, get you indulging into a a, a, a delusional uh, life that is uh, indulging into uh, the three poisons or five poisons and the eightfolded path 
the method of correcting your mind and shifting it. So your, your eyes, you see things differently and therefore you act and you talk and you live your life differently and you practice differently. And stillness, uh, you know, you practice stillness uh, in meditation, sitting or walking. Actually, it's more like uh, experience your inner reality and healing exercise. The real practice is having the stillness as you live your life. It's like almost like... You go to do all that practice, so you go to the football match. <laughs> but the, the football match is the real thing. If you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, no, I, I, I like that. It's a nice metaphor. Erwin, what do you think about reincarnation and enlightenment? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> I'd like to reincarnate in a higher form. But I don't know. I think these are something that is entrusted to us. We live it, we live, and that is our destiny. What I like to know, I would like to uh, to proceed to, not on this, but in this series of podcasts, is to understand how these deep thoughts that we have been discussing relate to one another, how they are different dogmas how they could be recognized as being realizations, verbalizations, rationalizations of the same basic insight, not reducing them to that insight, but recognizing that they are representations and manifestations of something which is common to all of them. As long as we have conflict in this world, whether it's conflict of religion, conflicts of politics, conflicts of economics and business, or the conflicts of, of national national ambition uh, for greatness, ambition and oneness, uh, who is one, etc. As long as we have this conflict, we are not going to solve our problems. But the recognition of our oneness is could solve that, could lead us to that insight which changes our behavior. That's the paradigm that is shown by quantum science, by the new biology, by the new psychology, and increasingly now in the new social sciences as well. It's dawning on us. So it will be interesting to explore, explore I think, in the continuous continuation of this series, how this deep insight of Buddhism relates to the insights of, 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 of Muslims, of Mohammedanism, how they relate to to the insight of of the uh, of Christianism, Christianity, how of Tao we already talked about, how the deep Indian philosophy of of thousands of years back actually are still inspiring the world today and can explain much of the world today, how all these things hang together, how can we mobilize them to bring them together so that they become part of a harmonious whole, which we call humanity, humanity on the planet. It's a disaster as of now on the surface, but deep down we are one and we are beginning to recognize it. That's the new development, that's, in, that's the upshift. And, and religions, people who believe in religions, not as dogma, but as a practice, as something that helps them, that makes them live, that makes them be alive. That is the way 
that religion can contribute to creating a better world, one that we badly need. Because if we fail to create it now, we may not have a chance to create it much in the future. The, the negative developments move forward very quickly on the level of the economy as well as the ecology and the power structures. We have got to change. And religion has a role in that. I so very, well, very much welcome this whole proposal, which comes originally from Fred, to investigate in a podcast series the role of religion. Buddhism has clearly, I think, an important task, a cosmic mission, but it has also a mission in understanding and working together with other religions, not digging oneself into one's own little pod, but the podcast has to be a multiple podcast, as it were. So let's cast it together. Thank you for this opportunity, and I look forward to the continuation. Thank you, Erwin. I am turning to Zoltan for actually talking about enlightenment, reincarnation, karma. And I know this is a large topic, but I would like to know your views as a Buddhist monk. So uh, there is one very interesting practice in uh, it's mostly in Mahayana, so the northern Buddhist practices it's called uh, four consciousness. And the first one is the precious human body, or a precious human existence. And that's, uh, I think it's part of, or should be part of our education that to really know why we are, what, what, is, what is humanity, what, why we are like that, and what is the purpose of uh, being in a human existence. Second one is um, death. So very, very interesting is death is not the last one. The second one is death. It uh, also is uh, a very, very big problem that we don't know how to die. So it's not part of our education. It's not, uh, we don't know, uh, we don't have techniques. We don't have different like uh, knowledge, how to prepare, how to die properly. And then the third one is karma. That's also uh, in our education is lacking because we don't know how to deal with karma, how to deal with interconnectedness, how to deal with cause and reality. And the fourth one is a fourth thinking or fourth thought, or it means it's um, the, the whole samsara. So it means that rebirth. So in Buddhism, actually, we try to discover that how to do it this well, how to recognize our precious human existence, how to, how to, how to prepare well for death, how to deal with karma, and how to deal with the fact that we will have reincarnation, we will, we will have a next existence. And this gives an interesting responsibility, because if there is next existence, it's uh, really a long term of thinking what we need. So uh, one of the in, in, in scriptures, it is said that the first level of uh, enlightenment is called Nirmanakaya. So it is, it's uh, like the illusory body. And actually, it means that uh, uh, the human mind or the practitioner is attaining a level of mind when you know how to get rebirth. You will know uh, by yourself because we have immense, immense, immense knowledge in ourselves, and then we will know. And this is like a guarantee point because we don't know uh, how to do this process, how to go through this process, and that's why we can lose our previous knowledge. And that's also an important task of uh, the Buddhist practices to attain that guarantee point when you will know, when you have a next 
next um, uh, body, then you also, the knowledge is awakening in that body. That's, that's really very important. It's actually not about the, the state of Buddhahood, the, the total illumination, but it's, uh, it's called the first level of enlightenment, when somebody clearly knows how to do these uh, cycles, what Red mentioned, and also how to do this cause and reality, how to deal with dying, and how to do the proper rebirth. Because one one of my fear actually is that that if I have a like a, I can have a lot of diplomas, and then I will die, and then I start again. And maybe if I get rebirth in the same family, I will see my old diplomas. Even I say that this is mine, this is mine. No one will believe it. So in, in Tibetan system, they try to work out a kind of, it's called a tulku system, when they try to recognize the reincarnations, but it has many, many, many mistakes. But I think this um, should be very natural in our society to deal with these four points of precious human body, precious human existence, and then also dying, death, karma, so the imprints, cause and reality, and the rebirth. But we don't have this in our education. That's I see very, very much. It would be very important because it would create also um, a kind of a mindset when there is no fear of death. Because in, in our society, it's very it's a great fear because we don't know anything about that. So, so one of the first enlightened state when somebody is clearly knowing how to do with karma, how to do with the cycles, how to do the proper reincarnation. And uh, on per personal level, I, when I was starting to practice, I had many, many dreams uh, when I was talking in Tibetan, also uh, speaking in Spanish. And I was not learning that time Tibetan. I was, I was even now, I don't know anything about Spanish. So, and I recognize monasteries from, so it's, it's, it can be remaining in our mind. And that's, uh, it's uh, not about that, how, how a special being, it should be for everybody. So everybody should remember previous existences. Why? Because this gives the, the proper, uh, the proper task to prepare for the next one and to be responsible for our presence because with our presence, with our present uh, thoughts, present emotion, present uh, um, actions, we create our future. So that's what I think. So when you are, get enlightened, you will know. <laughs> you will know, definitely. I see. So I think it's time to conclude. Um, I actually would like to ask Zoltan, maybe because so many people are listening to us is there a way that maybe we can do a simple buddhist technique or something that the audience can join in or maybe you as a buddhist monk can do a kind of a, a blessing or we need to participate or I'm just thinking. Yeah, when, whenever we are listening to the teachings, then or also we practice, at the end we are dedicating the merits. Dedicating merits is the antidote of not knowing how karma works. Dedicating the merits means that we are have a wish um, and intention in our mind that uh, whatever we did now, whatever we are talking, understanding and, uh, and uh, sharing things, this merit, it, it creates merits, and this merit, we are dedicating that for all beings and wishing that all beings is entering the path. So that's what, that is what our 
our good wishes at the end. And there is a very nice um, dedication lines by one of the greatest scholar, Nagarjuna, and the enlightened being. So I thought that we can finish with that. Yes, let's do that. But, and then we are thinking that all these merits we are sharing with all, all beings, wishing that all human beings should somehow to find a way for the path, the inner path, a path toward our heart. That sounds wonderful. We we should definitely end with that, but I would like to hear a concluding word from Irwin and then from Fred, and then get back to you all time to do that. Well, this should be an opening world. We don't conclude here. We're just starting. I think we're starting a, a way of inquiry that is promising, that is important to pursue. So let's use the technique that we have at our disposal of coming into people's homes and hopefully also in the hearts by talking about things that we feel are important. Let's continue doing that. That is our task and our mission. First talk, then reach some understanding and then act. But without, under, without first discussing what is on our mind, what we know, what we like to have other people to know, we, don't, we won't find that way to oneness. We have to con communicate what is on our mind, what is on our heart, how we see ourselves, how we see the world. Let's start doing that. Then I think we can push, we can enter into a communication that is a communion, something sacred and one. So thank you again for you, Fred, the organizers, and and this time to our enlightened friend and colleague Zoltan. Fred, um, I think in this era, I mean, psychology uh, is a very um, young faculty, and really uh, in the era of well-being and happiness, it exists in our psychology, it exists in our mind. And uh, we know so little about consciousness and um, and uh, the mind in the modern world. Uh, we know a lot about materialism. And in the dawn of new era, uh, when the machine finally doing the production work with us, what we'll be doing. And I think that the, the wisdom of Buddhism will play a, a major role in enhancing uh, the development of psychology and education and participation in daily life of humanity. Thank you, Fred. Zoltan? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a compelling note to conclude on. With our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Zhao, and I would like to thank today's very special guest, Zoltan Cher, and our worldwide audience. 
as well as our wonderful production team led by Kenichi Sugihara, Taisuki, and those many others at the Octave Institute and the Laszlo Institute. From let's, thank our, let's thank our wonderful moderator, Nora Chisa. She can't do that for herself, but we can do that. We enjoyed working with you. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you for your kind words. I enjoyed this session so much. And just to do our little outro from whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, this is the place to tune in. We invite you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast, as well as to gift the book to yourself or a loved one. It's a true companion for these challenging times. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, this time when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for listening. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research, the Octave Institute, and Select Books Publishers. Our theme music is Chimera by Biba Dupont. For more information about Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, please visit our website at www.thelasloinstitute.com. If you enjoy our program, please remember to subscribe to us on your podcast service. And if you are using Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating to help other listeners learn about our show. See you next time.